DW Africa Link It's another day but as you know every day is Africa Link day hello and welcome to another edition of DW's Africa Link from our studios here in Bonn Germany I'm Zoya Fröhlich and I am Kai Nebe we are reaching you live from our Facebook page DW Africa and of course through all our partner stations across the African continent tune in share and do comment That is right coming up young Africans become victims of human trafficking in Southeast Asia and escaping is almost impossible If there is no client at noon, no lunch. If someone checks and you didn't reply to a client, they beat you or make you stand for hours. And if we say we want to leave, they tell us they will sell us or kill us. And we get an in-depth look at just how easy it is to fall into the hands of human traffickers targeting young Africans. We have a huge uh, job crisis, especially among the youth. So they join these WhatsApp groups and then they end up in Philippines, in Thailand, Myanmar where they are mostly they mostly work uh, in cyber crime. We will also be updating you on the Afcon tournament, but for now the world news in brief. DW News. Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyingi. EU leaders have praised passage of a new 50 billion euro support package for Ukraine. European Council President Charles Michel said the deal will ensure quote long-term predictable funding for Ukraine. Hungary's Prime Minister Viktor Orban has dropped weeks of opposition to the package. Ukraine has faced increasing concerns over aid funding with infighting in the EU and the US holding up support. Speaking after the deal was approved, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz said a sincere effort was required from all of Ukraine's allies to help Kyiv fend off the Russian invasion. DW's Brussels bureau chief Alexandra von Namen with more. Uh, Germany now is the second largest supplier of weapons to Ukraine, but other big European nations, for instance France, are not doing uh, as much as Germany. German Chancellor is trying to get more support for Ukraine and to convince his counterparts to do more also in the face of uh, the problems that Ukraine is facing when it comes to weapons deliveries. DW's Brussels bureau chief Alexandra von Namen reporting. Russia and Ukraine have completed a prisoner swap that saw 200 captives released on each side. The deal was arranged by the United Arab Emirates. A plane that Moscow says was carrying Ukrainian prisoners of war was shot down in southern Russia a week ago. The United States Treasury has imposed sanctions on three Sudanese companies. They say are funding the horrific war in the country. Those sanctions include Al-Khaj Bank and Al-Farah Advanced Works, controlled by the paramilitary Rapid Support Forces, RSF. The third company, Zadna International, is linked to the Sudanese army. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. Southern African leaders will hold an extraordinary summit on Friday amid concerns about the cholera outbreak across several countries. Thousands of people have been infected and hundreds have died in the region from the disease since late last year. Cholera is a waterborne disease and can kill within hours if left untreated. 
And activist Greta Thunberg has gone on trial in London over a climate protest. Thunberg is charged with breaching public order outside an oil and gas conference last year. She was she has pleaded not guilty, but faces a fine of nearly 3,000 euros if convicted. For more news and information, head on to our website, dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jen Nyingi. You're listening to DW's Africa Link program. I'm Zaya Fröhlich. And I'm Kai Nebers. Apologies for that slight technical hiccup there. Welcome back to our show and our Facebook page, DW Africa. is always happy to have you. So please get along there and share your comments. And of course, any news you want to share with us as we move through the day. And we do have quite a lot to get through today, don't we, Zilia? Yeah, we definitely do, Kai. And we are starting today's show looking at a grave issue targeting young Africans, human trafficking. Right. And uh, DW has gained exclusive insights into the goings on at a secretive scam factory in Myanmar in Southeast Asia, where crime syndicates are holding human trafficking victims from sub-Saharan Africa against their will and are forcing them to execute cryptocurrency scams. And our investigative unit joined a team of rescuers on their dramatic mission to help two victims escape their ordeal and found out what exactly they endured. Their names have been changed to protect their identities. In a massive compound on Myanmar's border with Thailand, thousands of people are working to trick Chinese, Americans and Europeans out of their savings. Two of them are Lucas and Aaron. But just like all the others working here, they aren't doing so for personal profit. They've been trafficked from across the globe and are being forced to work in a scam factory in slave-like conditions, Lucas tells DW. If there is no client at noon, no lunch. If someone checks and you didn't reply to a client, they beat you or make you stand for hours. We work 17 hours a day. No complaints, no holidays, no rest. And if we say we want to leave, they tell us they will sell us or kill us. Lucas and Aaron managed to escape a scam factory known as KK Park. It's one of around 12 such compounds in this area of Myanmar's Karen city, and it's one of the most notorious, Aaron shares with DW. Security was checking our computers, seeing if we are doing our job or playing. So they did what they were told, make contact with people on the internet, win their trust, and convince them to invest in fake cryptocurrency sites. Once the victims have sent just enough money, their website is shut down and their money is gone. The sophisticated form of scamming is called pig butchering, and the United Nations Office of Drugs and Crimes estimates such scams generate more revenue than the drug trade in Southeast Asia. KK Park alone makes tens of millions of euros a month, apparently enabled by soldiers of Myanmar's bodyguard and on the backs of helpless victims of human trafficking. Okay, his last message says, we're in a bunker after the river. I don't know what's down the end of that river. Um, we're looking for a taxi with a license plate, 95, yellow and blue, coming up on that side of the road. On the Thai side of the border, a team of aid workers is on a mission to help them escape. Timing is critical. Victims are sometimes transferred to other compounds via Thailand. That's when the aid workers act. Okay, pull over, pull over, pull over. It's a dangerous mission. They don't know if armed traffickers are in the car, but they are lucky. There are no armed traffickers in sight and there's no opposition from the taxi driver. The aid workers manage to usher the group into their car and bring them to a safe house. The next step 
will be dealing with immigration authorities. Aaron tells DW. Not an easy experience, and I hope I can go back to my country and find a job that I was graduated for to start a new life. Aaron and Lucas were recognized as victims of human trafficking and repatriated to their home country. But thousands of victims are still trapped at KK Park and other scam factories somewhere on the Myanmar-Thailand border. This report by DW's investigative unit was presented by Okering Guchinato. And staying on that topic, Zilia, Africans are not just being exploited in Myanmar, but are also victims that are forced to work for cybercrime gangs and prostitution rings in Laos, Cambodia, and also Thailand, in Asia, that is. Mm-hmm. In June 2023, Interpol issued a global warning on the escalation in human trafficking networks using online job scams to lure victims who are then forced to commit cybercrime-enabled financial crimes on an industrial scale. Yeah, and according to the East African an increasing number of East Africans are being lured through online job scams in Southeast Asia that promise to pay well. I spoke to Dr. Willis Okumu, senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies in Nairobi, Kenya, and asked him which techniques human traffickers are using to lure Africans in. Yeah, so this happens through uh, recruitment on social media. So there are Kenyans that are part of this network posting Uh, fake job adverts on Facebook and other WhatsApp groups from which then uh, you would uh, basically uh, advertise uh, jobs for teachers, for front office, for bilingual uh, translators. And of course, you realize that in in East Africa, especially a country like Kenya, we have a huge uh, job crisis, especially among the youth. So all these guys who have done their degrees or diplomas and are desperate, desperate for opportunities when they see that a teacher can actually earn $2,000 in, in Myanmar or Cambodia, they join these WhatsApp groups. Now they're told that uh, for you to be to be processed uh, so that you can be able to travel to, 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 to Cambodia, to Myanmar, you need to pay us a certain amount of money. Normally it's of a thousand dollars or more. Eventually, they get tickets. They get they they mostly uh, given tourist visas, and then they end up in Philippines, in Thailand. But again, they cross over to uh, to 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 Myanmar, where they are mostly they mostly work uh, in cybercrime. Dr. Okumu, how difficult is it to get out once you find yourself in the hands of human traffickers in Southeast Asia? From the stories of those who have been there, uh, they talk about uh, all sorts of abuses. They talk about some of their colleagues having died uh, because of the beatings and starvation and all that. And of course, those who have tried to, to escape, normally they realize that they are held in debt bondage. So it means that the family members back home have to uh, pay up to about $10,000 for them to, to be given uh, the, the permission to to, to contact other other agencies that could be able to bring them back home. But of course, the biggest thing is what they go through. A, a lady who is now a teacher at Kakuma, she talked about, you know, these rebel uh, members in Myanmar trying to uh, really break your spirit. You know, cases of rape, cases of hard labor. I think it's not easy for most of these people to come back. 
and normally it takes the effort of one, the family, and also the support of, of government and of, and of course even IOM. So what can governments and societies in sub-Sahara Africa do to protect their citizens? Uh, one, that there need to be partnerships in terms of, uh, that would enhance the protection of all vulnerable people that are looking for jobs abroad. Are there measures that protect those who are looking for jobs online, on Facebook, on Twitter, on other, techno other, other social media technology? Is it possible for these companies to verify some of these posts before they, they, they appear and lure somebody out there? Uh, but on the other hand, we need to have a really uh, empathetic government representatives out there so that they know that as, as part of their diplomatic responsibilities to protect those who find themselves in such situations. Governments uh, across, across in Africa and also in Southeast Asia need to strengthen some of these uh, monitoring and surveillance networks so that we don't have a network of, 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 of traffickers using social media in East Africa, working very closely with Chinese and, uh, and Thailand cartels to exploit uh, young uh, Africans that are desperate for jobs. I spoke to Dr. Willis Okomu, senior researcher at ISS, who is actually working in the research program of enhancing Africa's response to transnational organized crimes. And Kai, isn't that like a scary thought that like you could just end up in a WhatsApp group and the job that's being advertised there could end like... Well, I mean, it's not as straightforward as that, but certainly, yeah. you know, there are many, many people who are desperate for a living wage or desperate for an opportunity who, you know, would probably fall a, a victim to one of these scams. And I mean, there has been a surprising amount of sympathy, I have to say, on our Facebook page, DW Africa, from those of us who um, who have written in saying here that uh, dis uh, from Teardocky, for example, despite consistently receiving scam phone calls, I still can't help but feel sympathy for those caught up in this modern form of slavery. Yeah, absolutely. There are many more. Psalm D is saying to say these governments are not involved or have knowledge of what's going on is an understatement. Cosmic Puma is uh, very kindly saying here, investigative journalists are the real frontline soldiers for the war on truth. Great work as always. Thank you very much. We do try to keep that. Tando has said these scammers are everywhere on Facebook dating apps. I almost fell into one of them. And that is a true thing that, you know, this can happen to anyone. Quickly, Celia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't really tell, right? Like these could be, especially now in the times of artificial intelligence, you never really know what is actually real. And Kevin Guyen is saying, I have been approached by so many scammers, never fallen for it. Now it makes me feel bad for messing around with the scammers. Certainly. And the days are gone when it was very easy to actually detect what were real and what were scams. Mm -hmm. But we'll keep you updated on that as we move through the program. Of course, this is Africa Link. Africa Link, of course. Keep listening and we'll bring you more. Welcome back. This is Africa Link, bringing you all the information that matters most from across Africa and the rest of the world. I, again, am Kai Nebe. 
And co-hosting the program is me, Zia Fröhlich. I'm here with Kai in our studio and we have Celestine as our producer of today's show. And obviously, please listen to Africa Link wherever you um, can access podcasts. And um, that is, for example, Facebook on Spotify and obviously across our partner stations in Africa. And of course, coming up in this half of the program, we head to the Ivory Coast where President Alassane Ouattara opened a new bridge that bears his name. But a vibrant group of anti-gender-based violent violence activists occupied it. That bridge was important to us, but there's been nothing about violence against women. So for us feminists, it was important to occupy that public space. We'll hear more from those brave women in a short while. But first, Kai, we head to Nigeria, where the Lagos state government has announced a ban on the usage and distribution of styrofoam and other single-use plastics in the state. The ban on styrofoam will take effect in three weeks' time, while the ban on single-use plastics will come up in six months. It's a move that couldn't come quickly enough for environmental campaigners. Yeah, quite right, Zilia. And the real problem with plastic materials is that they've accumulated for years years in litter areas around Lagos. And what makes this actually really scary mm. is that some of these plastics takes more than 500 years Imagine. to disintegrate. That's half a millennium, way after we've died. But anyway, there's one Lagos artist who has shown how plastic can be used for works of art and even in building materials. Now, our colleague and correspondent on the ground, Sam Olokoya, has more. Styrofoam, mainly used for food packaging and single-use plastics are both widely used in Lagos. With no proper waste disposal system, these products litter several parts of the city. Tokumbo Wahab, the commissioner for the Ministry of the Environment and Water Resources, says it has become necessary to ban their use. The destruction of the ecosystem is beyond imagination. The destruction of the aquatic life, the health implication. So it's as though we are pushing the doomsday. And with each delay, we are getting involved, we're getting so messed up in our environment, in our health. The artist, Adetuanse Adenli, who runs the Slam Art Foundation, is cleaning up Lagos slums by turning discarded plastic bottles into works of art. One of his most remarkable works is a school built with discarded plastic bottles in Ijora Badia. The bottles were put in metal cages which are welded together to form a simple building. I noticed there's a high volume of pet bottles literally in the old community itself. So we decided to say why don't we educate people about how to reuse or what these pet bottles can be used for. And it doesn't just about pet bottle school. We're looking at pet bottle homes, pet bottle shops. These are children in the plastic bottle school. A teacher in the school, Temitope Helen Ganiyu says, it is providing education for vulnerable children. The school is a free school in the slum for children, less privileged children in the slum who cannot afford to go to school. The school also provides art training to teenagers in an effort to take them off vices that are common among youth in slums. 
Adinli says, educating the populace on how they can properly utilize their waste is leading to cleaner environment. Why people do not dispose of plastic bottles indiscriminately? This is a practical solution. Seeing the way people embrace this solution, it's been awesome. It's, it's mind-blowing for me actually itself. We have seen quite a large behavioral change, both from the young to the old. But most importantly, the one that has really, really been phenomenal for me is the fact that other communities are willing to donate a piece of land and the community dwellers are already picking pet bottles, sending pictures like, oh, we've had X numbers of pet bottles, how many people do we need to put together for us to have the same thing in our community. As Lagos residents are educated to utilize their plastic waste, the city will still need a massive mopping up of other plastic materials that cannot be recycled. That report from Lagos coming from Sam Olokoya and very ably presented by our very own Aram Atipo right here in DW's office. Bon, Zilia, that's yeah. that's an incredible story, actually. And Absolutely, yeah. I have, inspiring. I have, I was just in November in uh, Arusha in Tanzania, and I've seen them uh, using bottles for building houses. It's really quite impressive. You can do a lot of things. A lot, a lot, a lot that we can use <laughs> can from, the, from the trash that uh, we are just throwing away like this. Anyway, we'll keep an eye on that story, um, and of course, we'll also keep you updated on more of the environmental stories coming your way. Absolutely, but now we're going to a topic that I know that my colleague Kai is very passionate about because uh, while many of us have been passionately following the AFCON in the Ivory Coast, one woman has used the tournament to draw attention to an epidemic that far outlasts football fever, gender-based violence. Yeah, quite right, Zilia. So Desiree Deneo from the Ivory Coast leads a feminist activist group that launches big public campaigns against sexism, misogyny and gender-based injustice. And uh, she is quite a character and I think we'll get to hear that now. Our correspondent Bram Postumus met her in Abidjan as the country gears up for the AFCON quarterfinals. It was a scene that shocked the nation. On August 30, 2021, a presenter at a private Ivorian television station invited a convicted rapist to demonstrate before the assembled public what he did. Within minutes of the program, Ivorian showed their outrage. A petition demanding immediate punitive measures received tens of thousands of signatures within hours. At the origin of that petition, Desiree Deneau, Secretary General of the Ivorian League for Women's Rights, which took the station and its presenter to court. It was a key moment for us. We grabbed that scene to draw media attention to the sexist nature of such programs. There's a large amount of this kind of content in commercial television. It's based on pure misogyny, making disparaging comments on the living conditions of women. I launched a petition against that program and we went to demonstrate before the station to make sure they understood how angry we were. And now we know that this kind of stuff will not be repeated in Côte d'Ivoire. These days when sexist content comes out, the broadcaster issues apologies and often they remove the content. Success for Deneo and her very active league for women's rights. They have developed a knack for highly public actions that highlight what they stand for. Take, for instance, the new bridge in the heart of Abidjan. It was named after President Ouattara, who opened it. 
Donc ce pont-là, c'était important. That bridge was important to us. It's new. Many activities have been organized around it, but there's been nothing about violence against women. So for us feminists, it was important to occupy that public space because there's a tendency to make women invisible in the public domain. Deneo wants us to understand that there is nothing African about invisible women. In 1949, women marched on Grambassam to demand rights and freedoms for their country. The march has been falsely represented, argues Deneo, and it fits a wider pattern. In our own African myth and our own histories, we find that women have always held prominent positions. We had matriarchal societies, and in our own African religions, in our own communities, it was women who managed the spiritual side of things. That changed when we came into contact with colonialism and religions, Christianity as well as Islam. With the African Nations Cup happening in Côte d'Ivoire, women are at risk. Deneo's Ivorian League for Women's Rights has taken preventive action. We have started a campaign, Can't Save, with French-speaking African feminists to draw attention to the violence perpetrated against women. Indeed, there are changes happening with more female referees and officials, but the point is that women must feel safe to be in the stadium, and they must feel safe when they return home. We at the League have a number available for women who need our help during this tournament. That was Desiree Deneo talking about her activist group in the Ivory Coast that seeks to rectify the wrongs of injustice towards women through gender-based violence, Celia. And of course, that report brought to us by Bram Postumus. Africa Link. Sport. Sports, sports, sports. And when we're talking about sports right now, we can't, like, we, we have to talk about Afghan Kai, right? Because we're now in the final stages. And, I mean, there was plenty of action in the English Premier League last night. Yeah, we'll get to Afghan just now. But as you say, rightly so, there was big action in the English Premiership last night. And I guess the standout performance was Liverpool thrashing Chelsea 4-1 to at Anfield. The Reds registered an unbelievable 28 shots on goal with forward Darwin Nunez hitting the woodwork four times. In the, and this, this was kind of a special match because it was the first league match after Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool's coach and widely considered one of the world's best coaches, mm-hmm. and now that he would leave Liverpool at the end of season, at the, at the end of the season, which of course left many Red fans <laughs> literally crying, Celia. And um, to that end, I did actually go ahead and ask DW soccer guru Isaac Mugabe why last night's win was extra special. It came by surprise, a shocker, because this week Liverpool has been in the news for other reasons. The, the talk of Jurgen Klopp leaving at the end of season kind of dominated the, the papers, especially the British tabloids. And most of the questions that people had was, why did he announce his leaving? What kind of team is he leaving behind? But I think at the back of his mind, he didn't want to be predict- predicted. At the start, way back in 2015, that he is going to transform Liverpool from a team of doubters into believers. And yesterday, 
he proved that. You see, the game was really, really thrilling. Moving on to AFCON now, mm. we've uh, talked a lot about the shocks that have happened. Yes, at indeed, the, at we, this we have indeed. And uh, the thing I just kind of wanted to point out is that, you know, some of the stars going into the tournament haven't exactly lit up the tournament. The Ashraf, Ashraf Hakimis of this world, Sadio mm. Mane's, Mohamed Salah was injured. But I want to know from you, mm. watching this AFCON, which players have impressed you? I think for me, just like you said, we've been surprised not only by the team, but also the players themselves, which we will not talk they don't deserve our airtime anymore. I think one of the the players, there's Ademola Lukman, who plays for the Super Eagles. Actually, his two goals fired the Super Eagles into the next stage of the tournament. He plays for Atalanta. Very few people knew about him. He was born in England, and he really showed that he's a phone is a force to reckon with. Uh, also, Gelson Dalla of Angola, whose two breasts, I mean, also helped Angola to 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 go ahead and play in the in the next stage. These are two players that I think came as a surprise, not forgetting two star players of Equatorial Guinea, the goalkeeper himself, Lazarus Owono. His teammate, a million sous. Age is not a factor, just like you know, the name is no longer a factor. At 34, I think he's the only player who has scored a hat trick in the whole of Afghan, and he might go away with that record, assuming no player scores a hat-trick. Right. Now, let's look ahead towards the uh, quarterfinals, mm. where there are a lot of very tasty match-ups there. Uh, Nigeria taking on Angola, Cape Verde taking on South Africa, Mali taking on the Ivory Coast as well, mm. and of course, uh, Guinea versus the DRC. Now, we have said that this tournament has been full of surprises. But, Isaac, who would you be backing to get through to the semifinals? Well, I know Angolans are real fighters, and they fight until the end. They could eject the Super Eagles tomorrow. Guinea, they are also full of surprises, and they are also strong. They are really good fighters. Malia Ivericus, that's a tough game. That's a tough one. The coach and the the whole committee of the of the Ivorians should turn off the music for a moment. At least between today and tomorrow, and tell the players to focus more. Maybe they could surprise Mali. And finally, looking at the two surprise teams of the tournament, I'd mm-hmm. say South Africa and Cape Verde. <laughs> hmm. Who? I mean, who blinks faster just wins? <laughs> but I think I will. I will give it to the Bafana. Bafana I saw against Morocco was a different team. To, to be honest, I think it could it could end in a draw and maybe the penalties decide who goes through because Cape Verde is not a walkover. And that is all <laughs> we have time for late in the show here. I am Kai Nebe. And I'm Zoya Fredich. DW Made for Minds.